You're listening to Marcus Sahaba Online Radio Podcast. Legal Talk and Alhamdulillah Legal Talk once again. Uh, we joined by our very own uh, uh, attorney, Hafiz Muhammad Kuvadia. And Alhamdulillah, always a pleasure being in his uh, company and your company, the uh, Hi, Sensegatious, the listeners of Marcus Sahaba, the voice of the Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah. Muhammad, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. And tell me how it's fine, beautiful Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. I'm doing well. Jazakallah khair for asking. And, uh, and a warm welcome to your listeners this evening once again. And thank you for taking the time out to listen to a few words inshallah some words of benefit uh, that's uh it's uh, very important uh, what you said the words of a uh, benefit and alhamdulillah this is uh, the aim of this program uh, to conscientize people and you know alhamdulillah to even give them ideas of uh, litigation and mitigation and uh, when you're going to court for arbitration but uh, Muhammad, before we get to our topic uh, you know where we were discussing uh, uh, medi- mediation or litigation arbitration or litigation and so forth Let's uh, look around us and, uh, you know, the scenario that's uh, moving in this world of, uh, you know, a zulum. There's so much of oppression. We look at what uh, Imran Khan is going through in uh, Pakistan and, you know, they got this uh, cyber, um, uh, cyber, cyber thing on him. And, uh, you know, they, his bail is not being granted and he's been there. And uh, many of his, uh, you know, the uh, law or oh, his lawyers are telling us that there's a man, innocent man being charged on a fictitious uh, charge and so forth. But when you look around you, you know, it seems as if this is a world where, you know, criminality uh, is paying off uh, by, uh, you know, them being, uh, I mean, they just go to court and uh, get out scot-free because they've got this illicit funds. Uh, What's your thoughts on that, Mohammed? Do you know, it's so sad that in today's day and age, every day when you open up the the news, the newspapers, wherever you're, you're getting your information from, look at the public protector's office. I think it was 60 million rand in an effort to fire somebody, taxpayers' money down the drain. We take it for granted, yet we know what the value of 60 million rand is, but we seem to be powerless in the face, in the onslaught of oppression wherever it is in the world. We from the outside looking in, have the highest level of respect for President Imran Khan. We know, and we, uh, Prime Minister, sorry, Imran Khan, and we know that he is a person of good moral standing and good character. And he is actually as a true representation of how a Muslim should conduct himself, at least on a public arena. So how do we deal with these issues? We, we we try to understand that these things are underpinned by a lot of corruption, bribery, maladministration, and when good people are then taken and then um, uh, 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 displayed and insulted and lambasted on a public arena, then we have uh, uh, we feel powerless, and you know, some or the other, one way or the other. We should try to alleviate and what in firstly start by dua. That is the most important uh, uh, task that we can have. The, the, an op- ample opportunity for us as Muslims to turn to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala 
and tell him to protect our leaders, our leaders of good moral character. Because unfortunately, even whilst the Arab Spring had seemed to have favored the vast, vast majority of people, today when you speak to the Arabs, they give you the indication that we are living under far worse times than we did under Gaddafi, for example, or under the previous uh, regimes. We are living in times where there is greater fitna and facade. Look at the Taliban. They, I just read a post today. For 20 years, or I say 30 years, the Americans tried to remove them and remove them and eventually replace them with the Taliban. So we understand that the dynamics of politics is such a dirty game and that we as simple mortals in this world can't really make a difference but we can always ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to give us good leaders because they say from an Islamic perspective a leader is a reflection of the people that he rules so we, if we can change our condition first maybe like that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who changes the condition of the leaders, changes the condition of countries and as a result of which we can have people like Imran Khan then position once again in an effort to lead the Islamic country and to lead the Muslim world. Uh, well, hey, Mr. Gremlin wanted to come on there, but he said, you know, Imran Khan uh, looks, mashallah, he's got a noor on his face. He's even more spite here and he's smiling and uh, he's only asking for more books to read. He's such a voracious reader that, uh, yeah, they brought him a few books and he looked at all the books. He said, you know what, I've read three quarters of this book. Get me more books. And he's reading more books on Islam and the history of, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the Arabian Peninsula and about Pakistan and the different tribes and how it's made up. And uh, inshallah, you know, but, uh, you know, Allah, Allah knows best. Uh, we know that handsome Yusuf was in uh, incarceration and he uh, took up a leader, uh, leadership uh, position. But uh, Imran Khan, you know, let's hope and pray that uh, those uh, rightful leaders that, uh, you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has endowed them with uh, uh, so much of hikmah that they come to the fore and, uh, you know, make it a better future, especially for the youngsters, uh, uh, Muhammad. Then there's something you touched on and you said, you know, waste of taxpayers' money. But in this country, every, you know, politician, when he has a small gripe, he's running to the courts and he's going in there. And you notice that uh, the DA and the EFF and all these different parties, uh, and, uh, you know, uh, ACDP, uh, Action SA, all running to the courts. And uh, expense of the taxpayers' money, how much of our money is being wasted just on uh, going to court, uh, Mohammed? I think that's that's a very delicate subject in the sense that on the one hand we know and we understand that rights need to be established and rights cannot just merely merely be eroded uh, um, by way of unilateral actions maybe by political parties and thus so when you do have somebody championing championing the rights of the downtrodden or somebody that's been oppressed or somebody that's been wronged. It's important that uh, it's the courts give that person and give the applicant an opportunity to have his say and to remedy the wrong. That's the purpose and the function of courts. Maybe the problem is 
that litigation has become too expensive in this country. Today, if you want to employ the services of senior people in the litigation field, uh, I'm talking about senior counsel or senior attorneys, these things come at huge price tags. And, you know, it's like take it or leave it situation because you sometimes desperate or you sometimes need the win. So you want to pay so that you get the best possible result. And that can create, unfortunately, huge financial expenses for the litigants as a result of which and court, let's be honest and uh, about it, is an expensive exercise at the very least. And um, that that would now lead into the topic for this evening, and I'm glad you brought it up because look how succinct it now works into the topic. Alternative litigation and dispute alternatives is what sometimes is cheaper, quicker, more expeditious, and gives the parties the type of result that they would be comfortable yet. So, yes, getting into that particular topic, I think you asked the right question and you created the scene. Well, uh you know, you know, you and I know how to dive into the oceans of knowledge and bring out uh, perhaps the best in uh, our uh, attorney, uh, you know, attorney Hafez Mohammed Kuvadia. I really, you know, enjoy him on uh, this platform. So, um, uh, Mohammed, before we get into the uh, this topic, I just want to bring back a scenario and look at the elders of our time. I'm taking you back to yesteryear. You know, when uh, there was a situation where couples were not making it or there was a family feud and uh, the feud in this sense uh, you know they say hey they want to divorce and then the elders of both families used to get involved and you know what they made it like impossible for the divorce to take place they said no that should be the last thing that should happen and you know in those cases and in those times uh, the couples listened to the elders and they said you know what or the mother say, no, you're not coming back home. You're going to make sure it happens, that this marriage is going to work. And, you know, they used to always say, but Allah's throne will shake and this will happen. But today, look at it today, uh, Muhammad. I mean, uh, the Arab states or the Muslim countries have the highest rate of divorce. What link is missing? Let's see what you can tell us, uh, Muhammad. Well, the main reason, main cause of divorce is obviously marriage. But <laughs> <laughs> you, anyway, okay, go, I don't know how you're going to get off it. Go, go, go with it. Carry on. I don't know how, so, how you're going so to explain it. Let's, let's, let's be honest about it. Marriage is warranted for us as Muslims in order to promote our deen, our nafs, to allow our nafs to be satisfied. We have dunya desires and we have desires for the akhirah. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us an opportunity to be able to fulfill both. So, unlike the Christians who embrace celibacy and, 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 and embrace uh, monk ideology, Islam is actually very far from that. If Islam believes that in marriage is the development and the building of a family and a community, and it leads to good moral conduct. So, without a doubt, I think everybody agrees that there is a place for marriage in everybody's life. And uh, this is an opportunity for us to make dua for all those people that need to find spouses. Allah grant them good spouses so that they too also embrace the beauty of marriage and understand, and like they say, and then they can also take part in the suffering that married couples take part in. So we want everybody to be married out there. Now moving on, 
I think that marriage is an opportunity for us to develop our iman because now you have an avenue for you to 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 deal with your dunya efforts, your work, your domestic, in your life issues, because you have a life partner who's going to share the journey with you. And in so many ways, this person is going to make things easy for you and grant you an opportunity to take some weight off your shoulders. And alhamdulillah, we see that in married couples and married couples that are blissfully and happily married. By the same token, that spouse, a bad spouse, a spouse that is difficult, a spouse that constantly um, has issues and makes issues in the marriage um, is a spouse that prevents you from furthering yourself in many ways. Furthering yourself in terms of the akhirah, furthering yourself in terms of the dunya. And sometimes it's necessary to understand that divorce is a reality. Divorce is a reality in the sense that if it doesn't work out, then it doesn't work out. And if it works out, you know, we should try our best to make every marriage work out. We don't know the spouses before we get married to them because from an Islamic perspective, we meet the spouse and get to know the spouse and appreciate the spouse after the nikah. So our culture is opposite to the culture of the non-Muslims where they get to know each other and they date for years and, you know, you finding you find out that the dating takes longer than the marriage and lasts longer than the marriage also. Whilst we as Muslims... Part of the journey of marriage is that we get to know our spouse better. And with that comes a level of patience, tolerance, um, you know, it's just magnanimity and, you know, being, being, being there for your spouse and appreciating and understanding that life is about giving and taking. So, yes, for those that have blessed spouses, beautiful spouses, accommodating spouses, they have a blessful and they have a great life associate. Now, how do we deal in situations with those people who find that constantly there's a struggle between the spouses, constantly there's differences that can't be resolved, constantly the Molanas are getting called, the counselors are getting called, the lawyers are getting called. And we find, you know, we find that some marriages are just plagued, are just riddled with these types of issues. And, you know, it doesn't seem to want to go away. A person can actually identify early on in this marriage that there seems to be this marriage is going to be one of constant fighting, arguing, constant challenges. So uh, on the one hand, you know, Islam requires a high level of patience with your spouses. Islam requires that you should actually find solutions to marital problems. And yes, I know if you speak to people people in the business, they would tell you, you know, like motivational speakers and counselors, they would actually give you tips and guides how to deal with your spouses that can actually help you along the journey. I know very early in, in a personal relationship, I learned that men and women see things differently. You know, uh, even now recently my son was telling me that women tell jokes from a different perspective than men tell jokes. Men's jokes are generally very um, uh, theoretical. You know, it's like a man walks into a bar, for example. But a woman's joke doesn't normally start like that. You know, she deals with more fundamental issues. If she does crack a joke, which is not as often as what men do, you'll find that she her topic and her discussions and what she finds funny would be based on a realistic situation. She'll tell you about a life situation tech, uh, more common than she'll tell you about an abstract situation. 
But these are the things that you need to look at things from a different perspective. And you need to ask yourself, from a woman's perspective, does this make sense? For a man, he needs to be asking those types of questions. From a woman's perspective, does this make sense? And vice versa then with a woman in order to understand. But yes, at the end of the day, if there is no room for coming together, if there is no room for forgiveness, then it's necessary that a divorce needs to take place. But even on that scope, Shafat, there are steps that Islam sets out before a divorce can actually take place. And we can have that discussion if you wish. You know, I I, I, I like uh, what you said, uh, but you know, knowing that uh, you're a world-class da'i, and uh, you know, even I uh, had the privilege of being with a world-renowned scholar, you know who he is. And uh, then, you know, I remember at that center, we used to have a lot of people that we, uh, you know, reverted to the deen of Islam. And then that issue we should look and then, uh, you know, that couple say, okay, let's mix and match here. All right, you marry that one. And they agreed, you know, they, and they were well off or something. They were working and, the uh, you know, couples got together because they needed, needed to have a common ideology and Islam was there. And uh, sometimes you found it, it was a mixed couple and, uh, you know, the marriage sometimes worked out, sometimes that didn't work out. But, uh, you know, because of uh, the ideology having a common deen and coming new into Islam, they embraced it, they celebrated it, and they were very happy. And, uh, you know, we saw that uh, most of these marriages did work out. Now, you as a da'i and a head of uh, da'wah organizations also, uh, what's your success rate when, uh, you know, you allowed couples or you chose couples or they chose themselves and uh, you facilitated uh, the nikah or the marriage. Uh, talk to us uh, some of your success stories, uh, Muhammad. Gee, alhamdulillah. So I think, you know, at the outset, before we conduct marriages, we ask uh, and we prepare uh, marriage lessons, marriage life skills for possible uh, uh, marriage candidates in that we'd like for them to understand what marriage is about. Alhamdulillah, you find that when couples embrace Islam together, then they have, they then take on a different understanding about the virtues of marriage, how it is to conduct oneself now with the opposite sex, how is it? So there are life-changing lessons that happen with com- uh, couples that embrace themselves, that, that embrace Islam jointly. And Alhamdulillah, with that, we find that uh, uh, those marriages are also very successful because there's a new love between the spouses that you didn't find before. Now, you know, we, we, we believe and we understand that uh, the marriage will be built on Islamic principles and that love won't, you know, sexual gratification is not the only reason. There is now an opportunity for spouses to support each other. One spouse is learning Surah Fatiha, the other one is teaching them Surah Fatiha, one is learning simple surahs, how to make salah, and the other spouse has already learned that or they're learning it together. So beautiful, beautiful opportunity for people once again to rekindle that love between themselves. Yes. Now, sometimes you find that uh, other uh, uh, people embrace Islam singularly, that unmarried youngsters, uh, ladies, men embrace Islam Obviously, we make it known to them that, you know, that uh, it, it is better depending on the age, the financial circumstances, the level of education, the employment levels. Uh, it's better to find a suitable spouse 
obviously from an Islamic perspective, somebody that is knowledgeable, somebody that will guide them. And it does come with challenges, I must be honest with you, because you find that, you know, sometimes you have cultural differences, sometimes you have language differences. But by and large, um, I find that our, there is an opportunity for people to, we should find this within ourselves to try to get married to reverts also from time to time, help them with the deen, give them an opportunity to love Islam from a spouse or a, 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 from a spouse that actually has been Islam for many years. And we encourage it. And alhamdulillah, we find that it does work. Uh, you know, you do have your exceptions from time to time because people do come with baggage. People do come with differences, you know, from cultural differences. So it involves food. It involves language. It just involves basic understanding of life and the merits and demerits of of different things. So that does have its challenges, yes. But I think as far as possible, we ourselves as a Dawah organization, we give them the tools and we, you know, we, we, we instead of, you know, um, uh, you know, referrals are there, yes, you know, but in a way, let them make their own decision. Let them be comfortable. Um, you don't also want to find that you're marrying young girls, for example, 17, 16, 17, 18 now uh, are being uh, proposed for. And then there would be issues. There would be issues with the family also because the family, although they're not Muslim, they then object to certain things and bad behaviors amongst the possible spouse. So all these things, you know, are issues that we must consider. And we want to give these new reverts the best opportunity to move forward with their life. You know, Muhammad, you make a point there. And, you know, when you marry an individual, it's a vice versa. You don't only marry the individual, but you're marrying into the family. I mean, the extended family and so forth. But in certain, uh, you know, instances where the family disowns the individual because they accepted Islam, uh, that barrier there, how does that impact on uh, maybe a female, uh, Muhammad? So what we do is that we... we we and we need to. I need. We need to focus more on this. So if there's, if this is an opportunity for people to want to assist Dawa organizations, we need to create safe havens for young girls who embrace Islam, because culturally you find that uh, in some communities they actually ostracize or they'll kick out the young river from the family because they feel that that person is now an embarrassment to them and their church. You find that uh, these people can't hold their heads high in in a community because their daughter or their son has now embarrassed them by accepting Islam. And now the youngster, 17, 18, 19, 20 years old, the young lady more especially, is now destitute and she's now contemplating going back to Christianity because she's at a loss. So if there is an opportunity to assist in a Dawah organization, I would say the first thing, if we had sufficient funds and you come there and you can be in an environment where food is provided, your basic services are provided and you are assisted along and you are provided a rest from possible victimization from family members or backlash from India. This is something that I think more important than marrying them. Now gives them an opportunity to find their feet within the Islamic parameters for them to then, as they grow in Islam, they may then find somebody in time to come 
but we don't want to just marry them off in an effort to protect them where is there is alternatives and what does it cost us it costs us it would cost us next to nothing we just need to find a place for us to house them home them rather and for us to support them so much so that in time to come few weeks few months maybe we can assist them with the job maybe we can give them the courage maybe their family has forgiven them in time to come and welcomes them back into the home and they like can continue yes so this is the stark reality sometimes we forget that there are communities um, where they there is definitely a backlash when they they youth embrace islam yeah mohammed you know this is a topic on its own you and i can get into it and we we'll, <laughs> we'll run out of uh, time for our topic so uh, let's go back into it and uh, what's the difference uh, uh, the differences between mediation arbitration and litigation mohammed Jeez, so where do we start? Let's start by trying to examine. You mentioned arbitration, you mentioned litigation, and you mentioned mediation. Yes. So I think that those needs to be those need to be examined. So litigation is what we conventionally know is going to court and resolving your issues or your disputes by virtue of a judge or a magistrate. and this person will listen to all the evidentiary material will go through all the necessary documents and would make a decision and that decision is binding on the parties and is, of course it's subject to an appeal or a review depending on the nature and the merits so we understand that that is generally what's considered to be litigation it's it's a costly procedure in the sense that you have to pay for uh, litigation you have to pay for your lawyers and if you lose the case you may be slapped with a cost order where you even have to pay for the other party's uh, legal expenses as well and we know that you know um, in this country for starters that litigation is by its nature expensive if you're going to high court or an appeal court then you are going to pay much more fees because now these require the services of senior people like advocates and professionals sometimes you need um, expert evidence maybe a professor or a doctor or some you know forensic expert to come in and these things cost money and it takes time you know you know how courts are they start at 10 o'clock if for any particular reason they want to know shut it down they do a few things they they postpone your matter now you pay the you pay your legal services for the day you have to postpone it till the following week following month depending on what what the judge is ruling as a result of which then you then pay costs and you pay costs and you pay costs and you know but that's conventional it's been going on for thousands of years and uh, this is the reality of uh, litigation on the other hand you have like alternative what we call alternative dispute resolution mechanisms so it's you don't have to go to court we have a solution to this problem and this solution is now backed by certain things so for example we know that it, that the muslim community via the various bodies that we have the muslim mediation and arbitration board so this is what's considered to be an alternative dispute resolution so you and your brother are, 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 are arguing are fighting over or having dispute uh, an inheritance for example and you know 
his version of the Islamic ruling, which he spoke to his mufti and has given him a particular fatwa, and somebody may come with an opposing view and say, no, this needs, this is the fatwa I've received. So what, what, what's the alternative? By default, you can go to court and you can have a judge, a magistrate, listen to both sides of the story and grant a ruling. But like I mentioned now, that thing takes time. It will just delay the winding up of the state and it costs money. So you have alternative dispute resolutions. And and that can come about by mutual agreement. So if the parties then um, agree, that listen, we agree that this Islamic body is now competent enough to listen to our matter, they should appoint one, two, three arbitrators, arbiters, then we will uh, refer this matter to them. And of course, that's a great opportunity then to expedite the matter and to save on costs and to agree on certain things at the outset. For example, that the person must be unknown to both the parties, completely independent. He needs to be an alim, for example, and or an attorney. So those are some of the requirements the person could put so that when the matter, an arbiter is then appointed, then he meets those criteria and the parties are happy that we're going to get the best possible result we can in the circumstances. So ideally, from a Sharia perspective, excuse me, instead of referring it to a non-Muslim court or tribunal, you now have an opportunity to agree between the, between the litigants and say, listen, we are going to refer it to an arbitration. So one is mutual agreement. Two is it could be contained in the founding documents. For example, a will, the, the testator can put in there that if there is any dispute for any particular reason, then this matter must be referred to the Jumeir ulama or to the MJC or whatever Islamic body he prefers. These are the requirements. It could be a senior advocate, a senior attorney, or depending on warrant, whatever his requirements are. It would then be, as a result of the will, the parties are now forced to refer this matter to arbitration. So there is another, uh, the other, the other, uh, the other issue that we discussed. So arbitration, the result of which is binding on the parties. So the parties sign an agreement before they go into an arbitration. That result is non-appealable and uh, non-reviewable, and that we are competent, we are happy that we have a competent authority that will be discussing and the result is now binding on ourselves or the appeal procedure will then be it, a mufti or the panel of muftis must just oversee the judgment, for example. So you limit now how far you could take the matter because it's an arbitration matter and at the outset you agree on a lot of things, including fees, that the cost of the arbitration will be split between the parties, the arbitrator's cost would be 10,000 rand and there would be venue fees of 5,000 rand. So you understand what you're getting involved in. You bring your evidence. The evidentiary material evidence is not as, I, I, I'd like to say it's not as thorough as what a judge sees. There's a lot of scope, I suppose, maybe now in terms of video recordings and and, and Skypes and, 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 and bringing in evidences and witnesses. It's purely at the arbiter's discretion. So that's an opportunity uh, for you to also have some relaxation. Also, the other thing you need to remember, Shafat, is that, <coughs> is that uh, for example, in law, prescription exists. That means, in other words, if a person doesn't claim his asset or his right within three years, then it could fall away. So if I owe you 100 rand and you didn't pay me, uh, you didn't request that money from me and I haven't paid you for three years, then if you go to a court of law, 
I can rely on what's called prescription in terms of the Prescription Act and say, no, this claim is now waived because Shafat never enforced it. But from an Islamic perspective, this is not the case. You can't waive, um, you can't uh, use prescription and use it as an opportunity to get out of a debt because Islamically, a debt is a debt even, even if it's your 50-year-old debt. So that's that's the advantage, I suppose, is that you know you you you're working on Islamic principles, and now you have an opportunity for somebody to look at the whole case. And if you try your best, and the judge you know gives a good result, inshallah, you know that would end the situation so much so that you don't feel, from Islamic perspective, you owe him something because you went through proper channels. And a qadi or a judge or a mufti in that type of scenario gave an Islamic ruling. And I think, you know, it would absorb you from from liability after the debt has been paid. Now, coming to the issue of mediation. So mediation is a non-binding result. So that person, like a counsellor, you'd go to a counsellor and you'd tell the counsellor, listen, um, you know, we these are the issues that we're having and you could give us some advice and some recommendation. So mediation it has that type of, uh, where the parties are not confident that they want a result, they may just want some advice to help them along. And maybe if they don't reach a result, they could between themselves. So uh, mediation is to allow a part, the parties to reach a result between themselves. And um, to reach a result between themselves and... Um, if they do not reach a result, then they could refer this matter then to arbitration, and then the process will start again. Well, I tell you, uh, Mohammed, uh, brilliant indeed. I really was uh, very intrigued. And, you know, you went on, you started off uh, with uh, telling us about uh, litigation where you have the judge, the magistrate, and, uh, you know, they make a decision and it's very costly. You have to pay for the lawyers. You have to pay for cost order for loss and all that. Hey, that's another story. And then the, the high court appeal and uh, so forth. And uh, uh, people go and it takes quite a bit of time. But each time uh, there's a delay, you have to pay for expenses. You have to pay for perhaps the forensic experts and all that. And, you know, you really brought it uh, graphically. And then you spoke out a uh, mediation and uh, the arbitration board talking to the ulama. Great opportunity to, you know, expedite uh, the uh, matter and, uh, you know, saving costs and so forth when you get uh, uh, more to these, uh, uh, you know, uh, mediation and arbitration boards and so forth. And instead of a non-Muslim court, you have an Islamic solution perhaps, and uh, the results are binding if uh, if it's made there by a panel of muftis and uh, they will oversee everything and it will, they'll make sure that it's applied uh, Sharia compliant. And, you know, then you talk about this uh, prescription act, which I found very interesting. If a person uh, does not claim uh, within three years, it is uh, waived up. But Islamically, this is not the case, even 50 years 60 years. I'm going to um, uh, perhaps uh, interrogate you on that one, uh, Muhammad, before I say, you know, you also sp spoke about the mediation, uh, you know, the counselor, the parties are looking for advice and so forth. They go to a mediation, but if they're not satisfied, they, they can move on. But uh, talking about that, you know, if a person does not claim within three years, that's the Western law, uh, it is waived. But Islamically, this is another case. And I want to know from you, Muhammad, if that's not the case, say if a father owed a uh, uncle, you know, an X amount and he passes on and his son is, uh, you know, uh, inherited from his father, but he's quite a rich man. What happens then? Can the uncle go to the son and say, hey, you know what, I'm claiming, uh, you know, your dad owed me. I didn't tell him, but uh, I'm telling you now. 
What happens then, Mohammed? Gee, so from a Western perspective, secular law, you find that if a person owes money, then his debts are to be paid before the beneficiaries inherit any property. So, for example, if there's a 500 debt to an uncle by your debt and on his passing on, before the children divide Warsaw, Budgie, and everybody goes crazy and starts buying big screen TVs, they need to make sure that the liabilities are all paid. So if there was any liabilities in the court, uh, um, in, in the cause of the person's life, that needs to be settled. If there was now liabilities that came about at the death of the person, so hospital expenses, funeral expenses, maybe there was feeding, maybe there was some sort of uh, expenses that took place now finally, you know, in terms of burial and proper um, the, 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 the sites and, you know, the coffin and this hearse and whatever services, then the estate would need to pay for that. So, yes, that is something that we need to consider very carefully that before we take our inheritance, the creditors have a better right than the beneficiaries. The beneficiaries are only entitled to what's left, the residue of the estate after all the liabilities have been paid. So, number one. Number two is that was a Western perspective. And similarly, from an Islamic perspective, it's exactly the case. You have to then settle the debts of the person before you um, before you divide the estate. Now, going back, what if what if a person had nothing? He had 500 rand debt and he had nothing in his name. He had absolutely nothing. So technically, that's what you call an insolvent estate. And there are some, uh, some special requirements in terms of an insolvent estate in dealing with this thing. But just long story short is that the creditors will get nothing because nobody is liable for the debts of, an, of another person. So you would not be responsible for your father's debts if he passed away and he was insolvent and there was nothing due to you, but he owed certain other people money. From a Western perspective, yes, that he is now um, uh, um, insolvent, insolvent estate and there will not be any consequences to that. Whoever the creditor was will just have to write the debt off um, and that would be the end of that. Now, from a Sharia perspective, when you look at it, obviously, you know, the deceased person had a debt and Islam looks very seriously at a situation where a person like the situation of when Nabi Wasallam then refused to pray over somebody because he had a debt. And that is the seriousness. And there are even other warnings about the deceased person lying in a grave owing money to third party. So that comes out as a serious warning for us. What Islam would recognize and appreciate is that we as the children or the beneficiaries or a close family that we step up and we say if obviously you know we see it happening and but more so in situations where it's an insolvent estate that you could use funds zakat money to pay off the debts of the person and of course seek the services of an of a mufti that will guide you in this regard but technically if the children have the funds and they they it's 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 just the goodness to the their deceased parent and maybe some last form of charity on behalf of the parent that will uh, uh, obviate and ease the the, the 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 trials of the grave in the year after 
by virtue of virtue of the ihsaniyat in by virtue of the goodness that they are able to do for their parents so you know we should i am using this opportunity to encourage the youngsters the children out there that uh, for all the years of goodness that your parents displayed towards you even if you had to take over their debts and their liabilities and pay it off after they passing you would not pay them back in the least for the services and the honor and the respect that is due to your parents now you uh, you remind me of the saying honor thy father and thy son will honor thee and uh, you you're a good son i mean i lost my dad when i was 8 years old uh, muhammad and my dad was only 35 and i remember him uh, you know as he owed no one anything he was an educator and uh, you know alhamdulillah living through and uh, his legacy lives on because uh, you know when i meet his friends i say hey you're the son of kkdk karim khan dular khan but allah fill his qabr with noor and uh, you know i mean i mean uh, you, then you look at the story of nabi muhammad sallallahu uh, alaihi wasallam i mean he didn't even see his dad and then his mother passed on when he was still such a young lad but all that you know brings you closer to our nabi muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam now you know you talk about uh, arbitration so um my uh, you know my take on this that the, uh, the the parties each pay their own cost when it comes to arbitration uh, um muhammad so by and large the arbitra the arbitration award could consist of an award for costs as well so sometimes you know a person is just being um he's just being difficult you know he you know everybody's telling him but you got a losing case you're not entitled to anything why are you harassing this person and you say you know what i'm i'm just going to i'm going to spend those thousands of rands defending myself but i know at the end of the day if i don't defend it i'm not going to put an end so it could be that you know you're spending those thousands of rands unnecessarily but in an effort to try to just get some peace in your life so you could you know the arbiter in that uh case in certain cases will make an award of costs against the losing party like a court would make it so the court you know it's not it's not as uh it's not as expensive as going to to court in a conventional way but an arbiter can say see the cost for today was 10000 rand and i believe you should pay 5000 rand or 10000 rand towards those costs because um your your case was vexatious or your case had no lack substance and you know it so that could be made or there could be an agreement between the parties at the outset to say listen um whatever the outcome is we'll agree we'll split is not we're not going to ask for an order of costs against any of the parties we just need an answer to what our dispute is and uh, costs then are limited then to what is agreed between the parties so you see how when you do a mediation or an arbitration you could actually channel a discussion in a, or, or a or a request into a particular direction so that you only get an order regarding that you don't have to deal with all the issues because now you just ask the arbiter listen the only thing we have to agree upon is this fatwa valid or is this fatwa valid we have two opposing fatwas and you as a mufti in that case would be appropriate that the arbiter is a mufti because now he would look at the things from a higher perspective and say well i do agree with this particular fatwa so something that would ordinarily be long drawn out is now reduced to a couple of hours and as a result of which you'll find that even with costs wise you actually keeping them, things to a minimum yeah mohammed are you ready firing uh, this evening as usual you always do and you know 
for instance, you know, if you lose the case, uh, you know, we talk about arbitration, and and it's uh, is it very hard to challenge a decision that the you know arbitrator has made? And sometimes you know, sometimes you can't appeal it. I don't know how true if, if, if that is, Muhammad. You know, if you simply disagree with the decision, and if you think that the case wasn't handled properly. Uh, can can uh, can you get advice about that and what to do next? And uh, maybe uh, we may be able to make an appeal to court on a point of law. Can that happen, uh, Muhammad? So the whole aspect of arbitration is governed by the Arbitration Act, and there's there's rules in that act that what can be referred to an arbitration, what can't be referred to an arbitration, how many panel members, you know, and it's governed. So everything needs to be considered. And yes. An arbitration award has an order of has the effect of an order of court, so you'd find that, um, and and for example, uh, uh, you'd find that if you have an award, you could actually execute on your award. You could actually ask that a warrant of execution be issued by the authority by the court, so that the sheriff would then now be forced to go and attach somebody's goods. So, if the person doesn't make good on 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 the order of court. So it has an effect as if it's a, a and, and this is governed by the Arbitration Act. So in other words, it has a legal effect and consequences. Now, I think, you know, the, 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 the whilst the act is there, then the parties can obviously set further guidelines that it will, the matter will, may only be appealable or reviewable on the following conditions. Otherwise, there is no room for an appeal and the decision must then be um, uh, abided to. And this is important because sometimes people are persistent and persistent and persistent not understanding that they have no case, you know, not understanding. So they need to be told by an independent party that, listen, this is not the way you see things. This The, the result that I'm giving is as a result of looking at things from an independent and objective perspective. So, yes, uh, I think also in order to limit costs and frustration, this whole arbitration act has been specially designed and specifically designed in an effort to try to limit the frustration of all the parties involved. And uh, we should, you know, we should look very carefully before we get into it. It's a voluntary process many a times. So if you're not happy with it and you feel that conventional rules where Islamic perspectives are considered very carefully as well, you know, then then it's fine. Go for your litigation. But at the same time, uh, you know, uh, uh, litigation has now its demerits. It is frustrate, frustrating and costly, as we spoke about. And uh, we could recommend that you look carefully at this and also look and agree carefully because you have an opportunity before the matter starts to agree. I've got Shafat on, on, Shafat Khan on as an arbiter. I'm happy with him, I believe. He's got sane and sober habits and that he understands the dean and he's the perfect person to sit and have an objective perspective. So after the decision has been made, then you turn against him. I think, you know, that also uh, needs to be considered very carefully that maybe it's just now, you know, sour grapes, as they say. It's just now an opportunity for you to vent further. And uh, I don't think parties would now pay too much interest wants to appeal and review and go back and forth about matters when at the end of the day what uh, will you only stop when you get the result that you are comfortable with because that may not even happen that's a brilliant point indeed and you know sometimes you get the arbiter i mean that's the man that's been appointed 
and sometimes he is in, influenced by the uh, bank balance of the parties involved. You know, a certain individual. Uh, you know, you're, I mean, a human is human, and these things happen, Mohammed. Yes, of course, and you know that's why people like Imam Abu Hanifa, uh, Rahmatullah Alayhi, refused to take on the role of a judge in a kabi because you know ideally he would be the best man for the job at that time in 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 Kufa. But the reason why is because he understood that um, you know as a judge you can be influences and subjected to the whims and fancies and dunya and sometimes. The judge, as Nabi Sallallahu says, you know, we, as we hear something to the effect that as we hear cases, that is how we respond to a case. And because he doesn't have ilm al-ghaib and knowledge of the unseen, a judge listens to the parties and sometimes a person has a particular sweetness about him in a way he comes across in a way that makes his case appear to be better than it actually is. And it could sway the judge. Apart from the corruption, I mean, we have... Uh, human basic human um, faults. Uh, corruption is one thing, and I think you know a Muslim judge who does that is an embarrassment, and it's it's a heinous crime even from an Islamic perspective to be taking wealth and not listening to uh, corrupt wealth from uh, people or to, to oppress another person for the wrong reasons and to just not give uh, an attentive e- ear to a claimant in in a matter. And unfortunately, you know, this is, we we governed by human weaknesses and it may happen. And at the same time, you know, but a person, a Muslim that takes on the responsibility of mediator, arbiter, or even a judge or a magistrate, if he gets appointed to that role and responsibility, must consider very carefully because this is, you know, taking on uh, a, a huge responsibility from an Islamic perspective. And I, I would be, you know, very reluctant to want to give judgment in matters that uh, that, uh, that that have, is uh, obviously, you know, that, uh, judgment in any matter because you feel as if, you know, if you did an injustice to a particular individual, how the, how in the court of Allah, how does it appear? How do how do you stand? Mm. Are you absolved from it? And that's a serious thing to take away the rights of somebody else. Maybe because he never came across in a beautiful way. Maybe sometimes, you know, he he, he shouted and he screamed and nobody liked his attitude. But uh, the underlying claim was actually a valid claim. And sometimes we see in a Western court system that judges are swayed by these types of, uh, of uh, these these types of eloquence and uh, verbosity and how they come across in the case that sometimes the, 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 the true claimant then does not get justice. You know, Muhammad, I love what you said then. The court of Allah, how are you going to answer even if the whispering of shaitan comes and say, you know what, you, you, you show me that, man, make a plan. But, I, I you know, I chose uh, you are a man of, uh, you know, stature and alhamdulillah with taqwa. Allah bless you for that, Muhammad. And uh, really, you put a smile on uh, all the listeners uh, this evening. And, uh, you know, how long does an arbitration take? Uh, generally, you know, how long should it last? So, it, it, you know, it's, it's just some formalities that may need to take place. But professional bodies, you know, the Muslim mediation and arbitration, and I'm, and I'm using this name a couple of times because I believe that as Muslims, we need to consider very carefully what they offer as an alternative so it could last, you know, by the time, you know, certain documentation and pre-trial discussions are had. I think in one to two months, a matter can be finalized. Obviously, the 
majority of all the parties at the same time. So you need the arbiter to make himself. You need um, obviously you know one or two assistants or officials to 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 sit there, and you need the parties to make themselves available. So they'll sit down and arrange a date and a time, and everybody will prepare for that. And there may be an exchange of documents so that the, uh, they are familiar with what the other party's case is about. And yes, so yes, in, as opposed to years. I hope uh, we haven't lost uh, Muhammad there, it seems as if uh, Muhammad. Sorry, still... sorry. Okay, sorry. Uh, maybe someone, we... tried to, someone tried to call you, Muhammad. I think so. Uh, for some reason, this yeah. um, the computer is, I won't say gremlins, maybe it's chins. All right. Okay. Go ahead. So what Muhammad. I'm saying is, where, where, where did I stop? I Just just to remind yeah, yeah, you. Yeah, 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 so I'm saying about, yeah, about it doesn't take too long. Yeah. It can take sometimes about uh, one to two months. Parties need to, the availability of people, it needs to be considered. So all the parties, their witnesses need to make themselves available and to give them sufficient time to prepare and come. I think 30 days is generally considered to be fair time for everybody to avail themselves. And as a result of which then, uh, a matter could, uh, could, could wind itself up in maximum three months. So there's uh, two parties in arbitration, isn't it? Or maybe more. But who goes in first? Who starts off? You know, who's uh, you know who is listened to first in in in, uh, in cases of arbitration now? So Muhammad? so so like a litigation, the rules are very similar in the sense that you have a claimant or you have a plaintiff, as we say, and that person who is claiming must allege and provide the necessary proof. So if I say Shafat owes me a thousand rand and I'd like to claim, then obviously I would be settled with the burden and the onus of proving that you owe me a thousand rand. I need to now present evidence that I gave you a check, you cashed the check and you promised to pay me back after 30 days and that hasn't materialized. So very similar that you'd have in a litigation. The processes are very close to, you know, because uh, this is tried and trusted methods of reaching a particular result that he who claims must prove, he has the burden of proof. So if he is unable to discharge that onus and that responsibility, then the other party would walk away from the case. The judgment would grant it against the claimant because he has no proof. You know, I don't have proof that I actually loaned you the thousand rand. It's, you know, my word against yours. But because I'm making the claim, I have to prove it. And that's how generally these matters then play itself out. And uh, whoever gets involved needs to know and understand that although it's not as formal as a court, the person sitting there generally has some sort of legal experience and he may be that may be coupled with some other particular um, uh, uh, accreditation. So he could be a, an alim, a mufti, or he could be familiar with, for example, motor car accidents or aviation issues or things, you know. So sometimes you'll find that it does warrant. I, I find that, you know, sometimes when we do agreements nowadays, parties insist they please prepare an arbitration clause between myself and my partner, should we have a fallout in years to come, we'd like to refer this matter to a particular body, the professional architect's body, because the two of us are architects, refer it to them, ask them if they can appoint uh, legal persons to, because we don't want to fight this matter if there is any dispute in future. So like these partnership agreements or sale of business, sale of assets, you find it's, it's, it's common that parties want to avoid unnecessary 
litigation and unnecessary costs in the event of a dispute. And it's prudent then to insert these types of provisions. And in there, you could even say that the arbiter must have the following experience and he must be appointed within 30 days and the matter must be heard within the next 30 days and that type of you know provisions and clauses. So parties do know that in the event of a dispute, we do have a solution and we don't need to fight these matters out in court. Yeah, finally, uh, Mohammed, uh, perhaps, uh, you know, are there any disadvantages uh, to arbitration? I think um, that the the opportunity, you know, parties sometimes parties sometimes are reluctant to go to arbitration. Can you guess why? Biasness uh, may uh, about the biasness uh, that may come through or something. Normally, normally parties are not aware who the arbiter yes. would be, you know. But yes. the, they 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 scared that an arbiter may institute Islamic principles. Oh. And, for example, that the inheritance now would have to be shared in terms of Islamic inheritances or that he's not going to consider my defense of prescription or there is. So, yes, there are sometimes repetitious underlying reasons. And I'm not saying it's always the case. Sometimes people genuinely feel that, you know, a court, because of the procedure and the formality in court, I feel that the judge would be the best possible person to listen to my matter and uh, uh, for that reason so yes the, uh, in terms of the arbitration award there are some matters that you cannot refer so they talk about the marital uh, systems or they talk about statuses if you want to change your status so there are some some legal issues around certain issues not being referable to an arbitration but other than the parties mutually can agree and when parties don't agree then from my perspective I find that there is sometimes sinister uh, agendas behind a person or he wants to drag the matter out for years knowing that like a game of poker, the person with the most money at the end of the day is the one that is left standing. And um, that could be that could be the, the disadvantages for some people. But by and large, I think that alternative dispute resolutions has an opportunity for people to remain friends to continue a relationship two brothers going through an arbitration or mediation can still shake hands at the end of the day can still hug each other and say you know what we tried and the result was given by somebody that we trust and we respect and as a result of which you know forgive me for my trusts my shortcomings i didn't see things now the way you seeing i'm seeing it now and it can help in avoiding then difficult family situations, close quarter situations. And with that, I feel that, you know, people can consider it. It's still underutilized in this country for many reasons. But in time to come, you know, I'm hoping that people can consider very carefully these types of alternatives. Hey, I like the way you said that alternatives. And I love that story about brothers agreeing and one brother actually telling the other brother, you know, I didn't see it that way. But now after the arbitration, I can see your point of view, and they hug each other and they make up. What a lovely ending to the show, uh, Mohammed. Your parting words uh, before I let you go. Chazakla, once again, you know, we thank you and your esteemed listeners for allowing me, us, into their homes this evening. I hope that, you know, once again, we can provide the type of insight into the topics and the discussions. Yes, we do discuss things on a general level, and sometimes people need specifics about certain issues, and those specifics are best 
then in consultation with your legal advisor, your legal representative. And inshallah, we hope that as Muslims, we can continue to remain friends. You know, many a times, even us as the or as attorneys, we find that we become embroiled in domestic issues, family issues, societal issues, and then there's a backlash from certain quarters. Now this attorney is bad because this attorney, you know, is is crooked or they insulted. But by and large, I think you know a good attorney who's worth his salt will try to find solutions within disputants in an effort to keep the love. I've learned in this from from my years that it's sometimes very hard to get involved in marital issues because by and large mar uh, couples tend to come together but the majority of the time tech couples tend to come together and if you're just going to continue to pound the other party with letters and correspondences and threats and demands and all that when the parties come together you you then the bad one you the you know the the, the difficult party in the in the cons uh, in the reconciliation between the parties so yes, these are life lessons, and to the junior attorneys out there, maybe some parting words that they can consider very carefully. Jazakallah, once again to you, and giving me the opportunity. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh to our attorney, Hafez Muhammad Kuvadia, for being uh, so uh, you know eloquent uh, this evening, and also very insightful, and uh, really giving us uh, the... Uh, difference between uh, mediation, litigation and arbitration. Allah bless him now and forever. And inshallah, it's time for us to go for the Ishazan and we will continue after that with, with Wasail al-Elam al-Sadiqah.